Thanks for joining us for this episode of 13. We'd like to start off by thanking our new patrons, Hannah Wilcox, Emily Susan, Sada Sanchez, and Leslie Small. This month we want to do something a little different, and instead of directing you toward our Patreon rewards, we want to direct you instead toward racial justice organizations both nationally and locally in your area. And we want to encourage you to support them financially. Consider a recurring donation and ongoing support as these organizations continue to fight for justice. We'll include links to just a few organizations and resources in the show notes below, but there are many, many more, including probably some in your area. This month, it's our honor to bring back a dear friend of the show. You've already met her once. It's Shelby Scott, the host of Scare You to Sleep. If you like 13, you're going to love Scare You to Sleep. Look for a link down below in the show notes or find her wherever you listen to podcasts. We also want to thank Reverie True Crime Podcast for giving us a mention this month. We'll also include a link in the show notes to them, and you can also find them wherever you listen to podcasts. And now, here's the show. My mother died in her sleep. She got up that morning and just didn't feel right. So she laid back down to take a nap, and she never woke up again. My dad was gone, so she lived alone. She wasn't found until the next day. That was the day that the country began shutting down because of the virus. You remember what those first days were like. The run on grocery stores, the non-stop barrage of closures, schools, restaurants, and bars, and non-essential stores... Hospitals and nursing homes, closed to visitors, funerals. I've heard that one of the most jarring things about losing a loved one is that the world just keeps on going without them. It's like the world is ending for you, but the world just keeps on moving. Except, it felt like it was the end of the world. But it had nothing to do with her. My partner Chelsea and I were alone at my mom's graveside. Funerals were considered a gathering and weren't permitted. My mom was the last of my close family. I had friends that wanted to be there, but... You know. A well-meaning man who worked for the funeral home read scripture while she was lowered into the ground. After the funeral, Chelsea and I went home. Things had been distant between us for a long time. We weren't fighting, it wasn't like that. It was the kind of distance that creeps up on you. The kind where you get comfortable and stop trying to impress each other. But then it went further. The passion, the little tokens of affection, they had been gone a long time. We came home and made small talk. We had our shared friend group that we went out with. Before all of this, that had been enough to make it feel normal. But we never really talked anymore. We never really kissed. Never really made love. Things had been okay for the last few days. We'd been busy planning the funeral. But with the funeral in the past and neither of us going to work... 
it became clear that we lost whatever connection we used to have. You can't find new small talk when nothing new is happening. We watched the governor give his press conference at 5 p.m. every day. That was our only routine. It became harder and harder to hide it. We weren't really a couple anymore. Neither of us knew how to talk about it. We didn't even know how to bring it up. So we didn't. Chelsea loved my mom almost as much as I did. And I felt like, in a weird way, I got in the way of her grieving. Like, is she allowed to grieve in front of me? Not just grieving with me and for me, but is she allowed to grieve my mom for herself? I think we both wanted to comfort each other, but neither of us knew anymore how to say that that was okay. Everything changed so fast. Just like that, it was a completely new world. My relationship was falling apart. And all I wanted, more than anything in the world, was to talk to my mom about it. All the normal things you do when you lose someone, they aren't really possible when the world is shut down. We didn't have a grave marker yet. The company that makes them was shut down because of the virus. Her house was still there as she left it. What do people do with everything that's left over? They go through and decide what's sentimental, what keepsakes they're going to hold on to, what has value and what doesn't. And then what? You just sell it all? Donate it? A whole life's worth of accumulation just dispersed like that? I looked it up and... Yeah, that's exactly what you do. But there's no donating or selling right now. No one is buying anything. No one is taking donations. Me and Chelsea watched shows to fake normalcy. You don't have to talk when you're binging Netflix, and even if we'd grown apart, our taste in TV shows hadn't changed. She asks all the time how I'm doing every day, and more than once sometimes. I think she earnestly wants to know, wants to help, but I don't want to talk about it. I tell her I'm okay, as good as I can be. I don't know how we became so incapable of being vulnerable with each other. There was a time when I would have opened up to her, poured myself out, curled up in her lap and unloaded all my loneliness and fear and grief. But we forgot how to do that. One day I heard her crying in the shower and I didn't know how to help. And she didn't know how to help me. And I started crying in frustration. Why am I like this? Sometime during the second week, I cracked. I had a persistent feeling of guilt that I couldn't shake. My mother was lying in an unmarked grave. I was sitting at home, watching TV all day with a woman I don't know if I still loved. I had to do something. I had to get away. That night, I told my partner that I was going to go for a drive. I just needed to clear my head. 
I'd intended to just make a trip around the city's freeway loop and then come back home. I just wanted to see something, anything different. But once I was on the road, and I put the windows down, my music playing loud, the warm air and smells of spring bringing my spirit back to life, the empty city, the empty freeway, the dark, quiet night. I'd planned on just making a loop around the freeway, but instead I kept going. Away from the city, the freeway narrowing from eight lanes to six and finally just two in each direction. Long stretches of dark forest, a nearly full moon lighting up the night in a sterile blue. I got off the interstate at a familiar exit. I meandered through empty, quiet streets until I ended up in front of my mom's house. I was back in Prospect. My headlights pointing at the garage. I just sat there in the car, looking up at the dark windows. No one's been here in a week and a half. I got out and closed my car door and listened to it echo down my mom's street. The key to her house, still on my key ring from when I left to go to college so many years ago. I flipped on the light inside the front door and... I don't know what I expected, but it was just like I remembered it. Just the way she'd left it. I don't know why, but I expected there to be caution tape or the place to be ransacked. But it wasn't a crime scene. It was just my mom's house. My phone buzzed. It was Chelsea. Asking where I was. A fair question, but I wasn't ready for the lecture about how we were supposed to go to as few places as possible. It had been a long time since I'd been here after dark. When I visited, it was usually coming over to help her with something in the yard or getting together for lunch. Daytime stuff. Her shoes were still by the door, where she always took them off when she came in. When I flipped the light switch, the ceiling fan had come on too, and the humming it made was a welcome relief from the silence. Where do I start? My mom's room was down the hall. I wasn't ready to go in there yet. I walked around the living room, afraid to disturb the stillness. A few dishes in the sink. A blanket balled up on the couch by where she used to sit. That last night. It must have been like every other night. Until it wasn't. There was a guest room upstairs that doubled as a storage room and an office. As I came to the top of the stairs, I startled when I saw myself in a mirror hanging on the bathroom door at the end of the hall. One night, when I was still a kid, my mom was up here working on something, and she spotted smoke pouring from a house down the street. I remember waking up to hear her panicking on the phone with the fire department. You know how when you're still a little kid, you think your parents know everything? 
I remember that being the first time I'd seen her and thought she looked helpless. But she might have saved their lives that night. The family, a single mom with two kids, they had to go live in a hotel for a couple weeks while they rebuilt the inside of the house. I looked out that same window now. The house down the street was empty and dark. The lawn overgrown. Back downstairs, I went to the couch. I sat down on the couch with a wary eye on the blanket balled up at the other end. I leaned my head against the back cushion and looked up at the ceiling fan above me, feeling the air gentle against my face. I closed my eyes, listening to the tick, 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 tick of the ceiling fan. Oh my god. I never thought it would feel so nice to be alone. I opened my eyes and took a deep breath. I looked down from the ceiling and at myself reflected in the TV screen. I looked small and meek on the couch. And then I saw something else. It was over my shoulder and across the room. I didn't dare move. It was standing against the closet door. It was a person. A woman. I jumped up and spun around. Ugh. It was a goddamn coat hanging on the back of a closet door. Jesus, I was on edge. My phone buzzed again. Chelsea was texting again. It was time to tell her where I was and that I was on my way home. I turned the lights out and locked up. It was getting late and I was dreading the drive back. Dreading explaining myself to Chelsea. I had an hour of empty highway ahead of me. Sneaking off and driving an hour away didn't do anything to help the tension between me and Chelsea. It came to a head the next day. I know we don't talk about it, and I know we're not good at this, and I know it's a shitty time, but I want to help. Please let me help. My heart melted a little bit just then. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to fix what's wrong with us. But hearing her say that she wanted to made me want to. Do you want to go there with me? I would love to go with you. We didn't set any specific date to go. We had no schedule, no routine, but it was nice to have a plan. One of us usually stays up later and sneaks into bed after the other is asleep, or grabs a blanket and sleeps on the couch but we went to bed at the same time that night. We hadn't done that in a while, just laying there, looking at the ceiling, talking. I could feel myself beginning to doze as Chelsea started about how much work she'd have to catch up on, if she even still had a job to go back to when this was all over, how she was already stressing about it. 
Somewhere in the middle of her story, I felt my body giving in to sleep. The last thing I remember was the feeling of lips on my forehead and Chelsea's weight settling in for sleep. That night, I dreamt that I was back at mom's house. It was one of those dreams where you're aware that you're dreaming, but you can't do anything about it. It felt like I was levitating, my feet just an inch or two off the ground, floating slowly through the house. It looked like it had the night I visited, but the dimensions were off. The rooms just a little too big, the ceiling just a little too high, the lighting just a little bit off. A quiet voice called my name. I floated around the living room and then back towards the stairs, up toward the guest bedroom. The landing at the top of the stairs was awash in pale blue ambient light from outside. Moonlight through the windows. Brighter than it should be. I broached the top of the stairs and, dead ahead, standing at the end of the hall, it was mom. I was looking up at her like I was a kid again. She looked like she was floating too. She locked eyes with me, but something was wrong. Her proportions were strange, unnatural. That's when I noticed it. She didn't have arms or legs. She was hovering there. And then I saw why. She was in the mirror at the end of the hall. The one that startled me with my own reflection. Her arms and legs were out of frame. Just her torso and face. She was giving me a look that wanted me to come closer. But I knew that I couldn't do that. A corner of her lips twitched up into a snarl. She arched up closer to the mirror from her side of the glass. Panic, like a slow wave, washed over my body. I fought to move away, but I just stood there at the top of the stairs, watching that snarl grow wider on the other side of the glass. I heard my name again. Amy! I was suddenly aware of my bedroom again. Chelsea had put her arms around me and pulled herself in close. Baby, it's okay, baby, it's okay. She fell back to sleep like that, snuggled against my back. But I lay awake for a long time. The dream was awful. 
but dreams begin to fade away and lose meaning almost right away when you wake up. But it was something else. This... This felt like a memory. The next day, Chelsea suggested that we start planning a memorial service for my mom for... for whenever we would be able to get people together again. My mourning process, like everything else, was stuck in stasis. Planning a memorial would be cathartic. We made the drive back to Prospect that afternoon. The transition from hip central city neighborhood to suburbs and finally winding through woodlands along the Ohio River. There were more cars than the other night, but not by much. When we arrived in my old neighborhood, at my mom's house, it wasn't the dark and silent place it was the other night. There were people out on the lawns, kids running around, out of school for the foreseeable future. The house felt different during the day, more welcoming, less foreboding. I'm sure it helped that I wasn't alone. We started in the closets downstairs, one out in the hallway and living room, looking for things we could use for Mom's eventual memorial. And then we looked in Mom's room and in her closet. There was a fire safe and a cigar box full of coins from around the world. That had been my dad's. They split up a long time ago, and he passed when I was in high school. A freak accident. He fell in the bathroom and hit his head. I didn't know she'd held on to any of his things. I guess, despite her best efforts, she never completely let go. It was cluttered with other things, but not exactly what we were looking for. We were looking for mementos, artifacts. Chelsea said that her grandmother had hidden things in the pockets of old pants and shirts. Sentimental things. Irreplaceable things. It was something that people of a certain generation did. If someone broke in, they wouldn't have time to search every pocket. She stayed behind in Mom's closet, searching pockets while I went upstairs. I knew where the real stuff we were looking for was going to be. I went up to the guest room, the room my mom used for storage. I crested the top of the stairs and didn't startle myself this time. I saw myself in the mirror at the end of the hall and remembered my dream. In the guest room, there were storage totes, bins, and boxes full of all sorts of odds and ends. I was looking for photos. My mom used to keep photo albums, but... Like the rest of the world, she'd transitioned to digital photos and cloud storage a few years ago. But the old photos, the ones when she was young, when I was young, that's what I was looking for. She used to keep them in storage bins under the bed, and there they were. I dug them out and sat on the floor flipping through them. Photos from long before I was born. These had been handed down to her from my grandmother. There was my mom as a toddler, 
sitting on my grandmother's lap. My grandfather off to the side, looking stoic and serious. There were school photos, graduation, mom in her 20s hanging out with her friends. My dad started showing up in photos when she was in her mid-20s. And then there I was. 1984. Baby pictures in the hospital nursery. Washed out photos of my dad holding me on his lap. I was asleep, and he was leaning back in a chair, looking out the window. God, he looked so young. He would have been about the same age as me now. I watched him and my mom evolve in the photos to come. Fewer photos from nights out with friends. More photos of me, learning how to crawl. My first birthday, cake all over my face, looking at my reflection and laughing. Learning to walk. My parents began to look different too. Their haircuts changed. My dad's work clothes became more professional. The house changed too. The 1970s aesthetic, the framed concert posters and patterns came down. In their place, the family photos and what can only be described as 80s-tastic wallpaper went up. No one realizes it at the time. But kids are watching their parents grow up too. The spell broke when I heard Chelsea coming up the stairs. Hey, any luck? She came over and sat by me on the floor. As we went through the albums, or at least started making our way through them, a feeling came over me. A kind of... uneasiness. I felt like we were being watched. On the way back to the city, we decided to do a grocery run since we were already out. The grocery stores were only allowing one adult per household at a time into the store, so Chelsea went in while I waited in the car. The number of people inside the store at any time was limited too, so there was a long line of people, spaced wide apart, wrapped around the building. Half the people in line were wearing masks or face coverings, half weren't. It was amazing how quickly this had begun to feel normal. I closed my eyes and leaned back against the headrest. We were parked facing away from the store, and I watched the line of people, moving pretty quickly, in the passenger side mirror. Because they were spaced out, only a few people were in frame at a time. Someone stepped out, the line moved forward, and someone new stepped in. I absentmindedly watched them. And then I saw it. Something impossible. My mom stepped into the reflection. She was in line, facing forward like everyone else. My eyes had to be playing tricks on me. I jumped into action, turning my whole body around, looking out the back windshield. She wasn't there. I looked up and down the line, studying each person. The line moved up by one person as I turned back and looked in the mirror again. 
not only was she still standing in line, she'd turned and was looking right at me. That terrible smirk on her face, the same one from my dream. My adrenaline kicked in and so did my fight-or-flight response. I opened the door and jumped out. She was gone again. Where was she? What was she? What did she want? When Chelsea came out a few minutes later, I was sitting on the back end of the car. I was shaken, but I tried to keep it under control. I didn't want her thinking I was losing it. I mean, I was absolutely losing it. But I didn't want her to know that. Not yet. I told her that I dozed off in the car and had another bad dream. I just needed some air. It was kind of true. I might have even believed it then. I don't know. I was sleep-deprived and repressing a lot of emotion. Something was bound to break. The next day, I woke up and made a decision. I was going to stop being lazy. Stop feeling sorry for myself. I was going to come out of quarantine more like the person I wanted to be and less like the person I was when it started. I was going to get my shit together. I felt determination, something I hadn't felt in a long time, since long before my mom passed. I looked into one of those apps that links you up with a counselor for remote sessions. I was going to eat healthier and exercise, and more than anything, I was determined to make things right with Chelsea. It doesn't matter how we got where we are. It doesn't matter whose fault it was or who started it. Only two things matter. Do I love her? Yes. Do I want to lose her? No. We can fix this. I can fix this. I was going to be a new person. I had those photo albums, my dad's coins, and some other odds and ends stacked on a chair in the corner of the bedroom. I've been thinking about my mom and how she wasn't really that old. We only get so much time. No resets, no do-overs. When it's over, it's over. There's no time to waste. We only had time to go through a couple of my mom's photo albums back at her house. We brought the others home with us. I spent the morning looking through them. There were a dozen of them, and maybe a hundred photos in each. All my life, I thought I'd seen these albums up in that guest room, and I thought that it was my mom who was the prolific photographer. But the more I looked through them, I realized they were mostly photos of her taken by someone else. Turns out my mom was the archivist, but my dad was the photographer. I pulled each one out of its thin plastic compartment. Some had writing on the back, usually in mom's handwriting. Most didn't have anything. 
How do you choose just a couple dozen moments to throw together in a slideshow and somehow define a whole life? I don't know if you can. And even if I could do it, would they be the ones she'd want? Life is more complicated than that. Maybe that's the point. You just have to be there for it. My dad took a lot of photos when mom wasn't looking. Sleeping on the couch. Through the storm door when she was standing on the porch. In a lot of them, she caught him and looked annoyed. Or laughed. Or playful. There was one of these sneaky photos that... I don't know. It made me uncomfortable. I don't know why. I can't place it. It was taken from the living room, and my mom was in the bathroom getting ready for something. Sort of diagonally from behind. She was putting on makeup. Through the open bathroom door, I could see the back of her head and her face in the mirror. She was brushing her hair, turned away from the camera. I don't know why, but I didn't like it. It was a good photo, though. Not posed, not choreographed. Just a moment in time. Just real life. I set it aside and kept going. I stopped for lunch. Chelsea was making grilled cheese. Hey, what are you doing tonight? You know I'm not doing anything. I have an idea. Let's go on a date. We'll do it all right here. Let's get all dressed up and order takeout and put some candles on the table, make a nice romantic play. While she spoke, I felt a warmth in my chest, a rush of emotion. This had been such a hard month. I'd been so shitty to her. And here she is, through it all. Oh my god. I really did still love her. I want to dance with you in the living room. I know it's a little silly, but I want to take you out. No, it sounds perfect. (laughs) Come here. I wrapped her up in a hug and asked her what she needed me to do. Absolutely nothing. You just get all dolled up for me and meet me in the kitchen at nine. Chelsea started rearranging the apartment. I felt like I should get out of her way, so I dug out my workout clothes that I hadn't touched since before quarantine, and I went for a run. I was still swooning from Chelsea's gesture. She was right. It was a little silly, but given all the circumstance, it was also maybe the most romantic thing anyone has ever done for me. I went down the front stairs to the sidewalk. I still wasn't used to how empty the streets felt. It was a weekday. During normal times, it would be rush hour, but the cars were few and far between. I warmed up by walking a few blocks. When I reached the main road through my neighborhood, I picked up the pace. I passed little shops and storefronts with big display windows, The sidewalks would ordinarily be busy with shoppers this time of day, but 
Most everything on this stretch was closed, and that meant the sidewalks were mostly empty. A little further ahead, there was an overpass spanning the freeway. Eight lanes of empty road. Four going into the city. Four leaving. A usually packed highway. No cars in either direction for whole minutes at a time. A cluster of buildings off in the distance, poking out over the tree line. The University Medical Center, where Mom had been pronounced dead. Now it was in crisis, in overflow from patients with the virus. I was there for a long time, bent over, leaning my elbows on the barrier wall, just looking out at this new world. Mom would never believe this. She wouldn't believe how fast it happened. She's only been gone for about three weeks, and... And it's like she lived in a completely different world than the one I was living in now. It was getting dark, so I started on my way home. The neighborhood was old, houses packed in close to the sidewalk. I found myself looking into the windows I passed. As the night grew darker, each window was like a scene in still life. A moment in time. A family on the couch watching TV. Someone with a computer on their lap. A cat perched on the windowsill, watching me pass. I looked at my phone. Chelsea sent a menu from the takeout place. I circled what I wanted and sent it back to her, an uncontrollable smile creeping over my face. I turned onto the main road, passing all the shops and storefronts again, the sidewalks still more or less deserted. The shop windows all had signs that said, Closed until further notice. We'll get through this together. See you on the other side. Behind the signs, the showrooms and salons and galleries were dark. Window after window after window. The same thing. But then, something caught my eye. Just before I turned onto my street. Inside a boutique. My mom stood watching me. Just like in my dream. She had no arms, no legs. She was framed inside a mirror against the back wall of the boutique. She mimicked my stance. I shifted my weight, and she followed the motion. Something clicked in that moment. The photos I'd been going through. The ones that made me uncomfortable, but I couldn't figure out why. I knew what it was that had been so upsetting. I saw it clearly in my mind now, and as if she was reading my mind, the reflection of my mom in the mirror. It made that awful snarl. I ran. I ran as fast as I could. I didn't dare look into any more windows, afraid of catching another reflection off the glass. I can't explain it, but whatever's going on, whatever this is, it lives in reflections. I got to our building and ran up the stairs. 
Chelsea was in the bathroom, getting ready for our date. I rushed into the bedroom, where the photo albums were still sitting open on our dresser. The stack of photos I'd set aside for the memorial. I flipped through them, hands trembling, looking for that photo my dad took all those years ago. The one from the living room. My mom getting ready in the bathroom, brushing her hair. And I saw it. Her head turned away from the camera, leaning forward over the sink. But in the mirror, mom was looking straight at the camera. There were others that had made me feel uncomfortable too. The photo of my first birthday. My mom in front of me, holding the mirror up for me to see. Cake on my face and laughing at my reflection. Also in the mirror. There she was, behind me. That terrible smirk. There were more of them too. The storm door, a window. It was in all of them. Something had been stalking us through her reflection. It had been since I was a baby. I heard the bathroom door open. Chelsea. I had to show Chelsea. I'm almost done. I promise. And then the bathroom is all yours. Hey, what's wrong? You look... Are you okay? She turned to face me, looking concerned. She looked amazing, breathtaking. She'd done her hair. She wore a dress I hadn't seen since we started dating. My heart sank. I can't believe how lucky I am. Something about her just brought me back to reality. She grounded me. She was my person. I can't ruin this for her. There had to be some other explanation. Something to do with repressing the mourning process. That had to be it. This could wait. It can wait until tomorrow. But then I saw it. Chelsea was facing me. And so was her reflection. Hey, what's wrong? Baby, are you okay? Just then, the power went off. (gasps) And I heard glass breaking. Thanks again for listening to this episode of 13. If you like what you've heard, stop what you're doing and leave a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This has been A Trick of the Light, written and directed by me, Ian Epperson, narrated by Shelby Scott. Chelsea was played by Brooke Jeanette. 
Editing and sound design by Liz Walker, with assistance from Bridget Howard and Brian Burkhart. Music by Caleb Ritchie. We're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at some version of 13pod or pod13. Just look for the logo. We'll have links in the show notes. If you'd like to submit a story or contact us about anything else, get in touch at sandpaperpost at gmail.com. That email will be in the show notes too. Bridget Howard is your reflection not quite lining up. Thanks for listening. See you next month.